Chapter Twelve of the Circular Staircase. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Winna Hathaway. The Circular Staircase by Mary Roberts Reinhardt. Chapter Twelve. One Mystery for Another. The most commonplace incident takes on a new appearance if the attendant circumstances are unusual. There was no reason on earth why Mrs. Watson should not have carried a blanket down the east wing staircase if she so desired. But to take a blanket down at eleven o'clock at night, with every precaution as to noise, and when discovered, to fling it at Halsey and Bolt, Halsey's word and Goodwin, into the grounds, this made the incident more than significant. They moved slowly across the lawn and up the steps. Halsey was talking quietly, and Mrs. Watson was looking down and listening. She was a woman of a certain amount of dignity, most efficient so far as I could see, although Liddy would have found fault if she dared. But just now Mrs. Watson's face was an enigma. She was defiant, I think, under her mask of submission, and she still showed the effect of nervous shock. Mrs. Watson, I said severely, Will you be so good as to explain this rather unusual occurrence? I don't think it's so unusual, Miss Innes. Her voice was deep and very clear. Just now it was somewhat tremulous. I was taking a blanket down to Thomas, who is not well tonight, and I used this staircase as being nearer the path to the lodge, when Mr. Innes called and then rushed at me. I, I was alarmed and flung the blanket at him. Halsey was examining the cut on his forehead in a small mirror on the wall. It was not much of an injury, but it had bled freely, and his appearance was rather terrifying. Thomas ill, he said over his shoulder. Why, I thought I saw Thomas out there as you made that cyclonic break out of the door and over the porch. I could see that under pretense of examining his injury, he was watching her through the mirror. Is this one of the servants' blankets, Mrs. Watson? I asked, holding up its luxurious folds to the light. Everything else is locked away, she replied. Which was true enough, no doubt. I had rented the house without bed furnishings. If Thomas is ill, Halsey said, some member of the family ought to go down to see him. You needn't bother, Mrs. Watson. I will take the blanket. She drew herself up quickly as if in protest, but she found nothing to say. She stood smoothing the folds of her dead black dress, her face as white as chalk above it. Then she seemed to make up her mind. Very well, Mr. Innes, she said. Perhaps you would better go. I've done all I could. And then she turned and went up the circular staircase, moving slowly and with a certain dignity. Below, the three of us stared at one another across the intervening white blanket. Upon my word, Halsey broke out. This place is a walking nightmare. I have the feeling that we three outsiders who have paid our money for the privilege of staying in this spook factory are living on the very top of things. We're on the lid, so to speak. Now and then, we get the sight of the things inside, but we are not a part of them. Do you suppose, Gertrude asked doubtfully, that she really meant that blanket for Thomas? 
Thomas was standing beside that magnolia tree, Halsey replied, when I ran after Mrs. Watson. It's down to this, Aunt Ray. Rose's basket and Mrs. Watson's blanket can only mean one thing. There is somebody hiding or being hidden in the lodge. It wouldn't surprise me if you hold the key to the whole situation now. Anyhow, I'm going to the lodge to investigate. Gertrude wanted to go too, but she looked so shaken that I insisted she should not. I sent for Liddy to help her to bed, and then Halsey and I started for the lodge. The grass was heavy with dew, and, man-like, Halsey chose the shortest way across the lawn. Halfway, however, he stopped. We'd better go by the drive, he said. This isn't a lawn, it's a field. Where's the gardener these days? There isn't any, I said meekly. We've been thankful enough so far to have our meals prepared and served and the beds aired. The gardener who belongs here is working at the club. Remind me tomorrow to send out a man from town, he said. I know the very fellow. I record this scrap of conversation just as I have tried to put down anything and everything that had a bearing on what followed, because the gardener Halsey sent the next day played an important part in the events of the next few weeks, events that culminated, as you know, by stirring the country profoundly. At that time, however, I was busy trying to keep my skirts dry and paid little or no attention to what seemed then a most trivial remark. Along the drive I showed Halsey where I had found Rosie's basket with the bits of broken china piled inside. He was rather skeptical. Warner, probably, he said when I had finished. Began it as a joke on Rosie and ended up picking up the broken china out of the road, knowing it would play hob with the tires of the car. Which shows how near one can come to the truth and yet miss it altogether. At the lodge everything was quiet. There was a light in the sitting-room downstairs, and a faint gleam as if from a shaded lamp in one of the upper rooms. Halsey stopped and examined the lodge with calculating eyes. "'I don't know, Aunt Ray,' he said dubiously. "'This is hardly a woman's affair. If there's a scrap of any kind, you hike for the timber.' Which was Halsey's solicitous care for me, put into vernacular. "'I shall stay right here.' I said, and crossing the small veranda now shaded and fragrant with honeysuckle, I hammered the knocker on the door. Thomas opened the door himself. Thomas, fully dressed and in his customary health. I had the blanket over my arm. I brought the blanket, Thomas, I said, and I am sorry you are so ill. The old man stood staring at me and then at the blanket. His confusion under other circumstances would have been ludicrous. "'What? Not ill?' Halsey said from the step. "'Thomas, I'm afraid you've been malingering.' Thomas seemed to have been debating something with himself. Now he stepped out on the porch and closed the door gently behind him. "'I reckon you better come in, Miss Ennis,' he said, speaking cautiously. "'It's got so I don't know what to do.' and he's bound to come out some time or other. He threw the door open then, and I stepped inside, Halsey close behind. In the sitting-room, the old negro turned with quiet dignity to Halsey. "'You better sit down, sir,' he said. "'It's a place for a woman, sir.' 
Things were not turning out the way Halsey expected. He sat down on the center table, with his hands thrust in his pockets, and watched me as I followed Thomas up the narrow stairs. At the top a woman was standing, and a second glance showed me it was Rosie. She shrank back a little, but I said nothing, and then Thomas motioned to a partly open door, and I went in. The lodge boasted three bedrooms upstairs, all comfortably furnished. In this one, the largest and airiest, a night lamp was burning, and by its light I could make out a plain white metal bed. A girl was asleep there, or in a half-stupor, for she muttered something now and then. Rosie had taken her courage in her hands, and coming in had turned up the light. It was only then that I knew. Fever-flushed, ill as she was, I recognized Louise Armstrong. I stood gazing down at her in a stupor of amazement. Louise here, hiding at the lodge, ill and alone. Rosie came up to the bed and smoothed the white counterpane. I'm afraid she's worse tonight, she ventured at last. I put my hand on the sick girl's forehead. It was burning with fever, and I turned to where Thomas lingered in the hallway. Will you tell me, Thomas Johnson, what you mean by not telling me this before? I demanded indignantly. Thomas quailed. Miss Louise wouldn't let me, he said earnestly. I wanted to. She ought to have had a doctor the night she came, but she wouldn't hear to it. Is she, is she very bad, Miss Innes? Bad enough, I said coldly. Send Mr. Innes up. Halsey came up the stairs slowly, looking rather interested and inclined to be amused. For a moment he could not see anything distinctly in the darkened room. He stopped, glanced at Rosie and at me, and then his eyes fell on a restless head on the pillow. I think he felt who it was before he really saw her. He crossed the room in a couple of strides and bent over the bed. Louise, he said softly. But she did not reply, and her eyes showed no recognition. Halsey was young, and illness was new to him. He straightened himself slowly, still watching her, and caught my arm. She's dying, Aunt Ray, he said huskily. Dying? Why, she doesn't know me. Fudge, I snapped, being apt to grow irritable when my sympathies are aroused. She's doing nothing of the sort. And don't pinch my arm. If you want something to do, go and choke Thomas. But at that moment, Louise roused from her stupor to cough, and at the end of the paroxysm, as Rosie laid her back exhausted, she knew us. That was all Halsey wanted. To him, consciousness was recovery. He dropped on his knees beside the bed and tried to tell her she was all right, and we would bring her around in a hurry, and how beautiful she looked only to break down utterly and have to stop. And at that I came to my senses and put him out. This instant I ordered as he hesitated, and send Rosie here. He did not go far. He sat on the top step of the stairs, only leaving the telephone for a doctor, and getting in everybody's way in his eagerness to fetch and carry. I got him away, finally, by sending him to fix up the car as his sort of ambulance, in case the doctor would allow the sick girl to be moved. He sent Gertrude down to the lodge, loaded with all manner of impossible things, 
including an armful of Turkish towels and a box of mustard plasters. And as the two girls had known each other somewhat before, Louise brightened perceptibly when he saw her. When the doctor from Englewood, the Casanova doctor, Dr. Walker being away, had started for Sunnyside, and I had got Thomas to stop trying to explain what he did not understand himself, I had a long talk with the old man, and this is what I learned. On Saturday evening before, about ten o'clock, he had been reading in the sitting-room downstairs when someone rapped at the door. The old man was alone, Warner not having arrived, and at first he was uncertain about opening the door. He did so finally, and was amazed at being confronted by Louise Armstrong. Thomas was an old family servant, having been with the present Mrs. Armstrong since she was a child, and he was overwhelmed at seeing Louise. He saw that she was excited and tired, and he drew her into the sitting-room and made her sit down. After a while he went to the house, and brought Mrs. Watson, and they talked until late. The old man said Louise was in trouble, and seemed frightened. Mrs. Watson made some tea and took it to the lodge, but Louise made them both promise to keep her presence a secret. She had not known that Sunnyside was rented, and whatever her trouble was, this complicated things. She seemed puzzled. Her stepfather and her mother are still in California. That was all she would say about them. Why she had run away, no one could imagine. Mr. Arnold Armstrong was at the Greenwood Club, and at last Thomas, not knowing what else to do, went over there along the path. It was almost midnight. Partway over, he met Armstrong himself and brought him to the lodge. Mrs. Watson had gone to the house for some bed linen, it having been arranged that under the circumstances Louise would be better at the lodge until morning. Arnold Armstrong and Louise had a long conference, during which he was heard to storm and become very violent. When he left, it was after two. He had gone up to the house. Thomas did not know why. And, at three o'clock, he was shot at the foot of the circular staircase. The following morning, Louise had been ill. She had asked for Arnold and was told he had left town. Thomas had not the moral courage to tell her of the crime. She refused a doctor and shrank morbidly from having her presence known. Mrs. Watson and Thomas had had their hands full, and at last Rosie had been enlisted to help them. She carried necessary provisions, little enough to the lodge, and helped to keep the secret. Thomas told me quite frankly that he had been anxious to keep Louis's presence hidden for this reason. They had all seen Arnold Armstrong that night, and he himself, for one, was known to have had no very friendly feeling for the dead man. As to the reason for Louise's flight from California, or why she had not gone to the Fitzhughes or to some of her people in town, he had no more information than I had. With the death of her stepfather and the prospect of the immediate return of the family, things had become more and more impossible. I gathered that Thomas was as relieved as I at the turn events had taken. No, she did not know of either of the deaths in the family. Taken all around, I had only substituted one mystery for another. If I knew now why Rosie had taken the basket of dishes, 
I did not know who had spoken to her and followed her along the drive. If I knew that Louise was in the lodge, I did not know why she was there. If I knew that Arnold Armstrong had spent some time in the lodge the night before he was murdered, I was no nearer the solution of the crime. Who was the midnight intruder who had so alarmed Liddy and myself? Who had fallen down the clothes chute? Was Gertrude's lover a villain or a victim? Time was to answer all these things. End of chapter 12 Recording by Winna Hathaway in Fayetteville, North Carolina